Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. invite you to turn your copies of the scriptures to the book of Exodus this morning. Exodus, beginning in chapter 4, verse 27, and in a moment we will read through 521. As we have just sung, so I ask us this morning, is it well with your soul? a lot that goes on in our lives, a lot that goes on in this world, a lot of things that we can't control, a lot of reasons to be in turmoil, and in not many reasons to be anxious, stressed out, what's going to make your soul well? If all those circumstances just iron out, if life just goes the way that you want it to go, or is it Jesus Christ? It's well with our soul because of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are, doesn't matter whether things go your way or not. And that's why we want to hear from God's Word, isn't it? Because God's Word communicates to us and reveals to us who God is. And it's there. Not only does God tell us what's wrong with our souls, but He gives us everything that we need so that our souls might be made well, might be made whole, might be restored. When you read the Bible, what kind of preaching do you hear? When you read the Bible, what kind of preaching do you hear? As I read the Bible, I'm often struck by every time that I hear preaching, it is challenging. It's hard. Why in the Bible do we see this pattern of preaching that's hard? Because hard preaching brings about soft hearts. Hard preaching brings soft hearts. Soft preaching brings about hard hearts. So while we do not want our preaching to be harsh, we do want it to be hard. Because that's what we believe God uses to soften hearts. Sin in our lives is what hardens our hearts. And the deceitfulness of sin is what hardens our hearts. But God's word and the truth is what softens hearts. It's what opens up hearts. It's what changes hearts and restores hearts and makes cold, lifeless, dead hearts and makes them alive. So let's read God's word together this morning. If you would stand with me as I read, beginning in Exodus 4, verse 27, I will read through 5, 21, and when I get to the end, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God. Let's read God's holy word together. 
The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. And so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel from Pharaoh's taskmasters had said over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his, and his servants, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit says to this church, your church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Is there a time in the future that you are looking forward to? A time when you can't say, I can't wait until then. It will be a different day. It will be a new day. A time that you are anticipating. A time that you are expecting. You're looking forward to it. And you look forward to that day because you think that will be a better day. 
a day of relief, a day of rejoicing, a day of accomplishment, a day of prosperity, a day of good things, a day of joy and happiness, a day of peace, a day of rest. Whatever it is, that day we are looking forward to in the future, that day that we long for, in our minds, it's a better day. That's why we anticipate it, wait for it like we do. We can't wait until it comes. How often in our lives do we think things will get better? But what happens when your expectation for a better life, when your expectations for a better day does not come? What happens when life doesn't get better, but life gets worse? What happens when life doesn't get easier, it gets harder, much harder? This isn't what I signed up for, God. Things are supposed to be getting better, not worse, and this, is, this can be difficult for us as Christians to understand, to comprehend, because we say things like, God, we believe in you. God, we trust you. God, we are following you with all that we are, with all of our hearts. We are hearing your word. We are receiving your word with joy. We are faithfully reading your word, faithfully praying, faithfully attending church. I'm doing everything that I am supposed to do. Why is God making my life so difficult? And do we ever consider that one of the reasons there is difficulty in this world, one of the reasons there is difficulty in the life of the believer, why there's difficulty in your life, is because there is a war of words happening in our world. It's a battle that is raging, a struggle that is happening between two opposing words. And this war of words has to do with who will ultimately rule and reign over everything. The word that wins is the word that has the rightful claim to the throne. The word that wins is the one who is sovereign. And the war of words has been going on since the Garden of Eden, and it still rages on today in our fallen world. And it's highlighted here in our text this morning. It's the war of words that happens between the word of the Lord and the word of Satan. We must be aware that this is taking place all around us. We must not be deceived. The world spews forth the word of Satan. Do we ever like to pretend that words are neutral? We are not of this world. There's a reason why the Bible says the world hates us. The world hates us because we hold to a different word. We don't listen to the world's word. We listen to God's word. We must not be blind. We must not ignore it. The war of words has an impact on our life and we cannot escape it as Christians. And as it rages on all around us, it will not mean that things will always get better. Life might get much, much harder. But here's the good news. The word of the Lord wins. He is the sovereign one. We are those who hold fast to the word of the Lord 
It is his word that we listen to. It's his word that must form us and shape us. It is his word that must lead us and feed us and teach us. So as we learn about this war of words from this text today, what are we to learn about the word of the Lord specifically? You can follow along in your outline, your bulletin, if that's helpful. But number one, the word of the Lord requires a right response. The word of the Lord requires a right response requires a right response. When God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, he objected. Do you remember that? He objected and said, I am articulate. God, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I got a great excuse, God, why you can't send me. And so God graciously gives Moses his brother Aaron, who would be the mouthpiece, would speak to the people on behalf of Moses and on behalf of God. And so now in verse 27, we see the Lord speaking to Aaron. He says, Aaron, go into the wilderness, meet your brother Moses. This meeting between Moses and Aaron would be a far better meeting than Moses just had. We have read just before this in verse 24 that the Lord met Moses. Why did the Lord meet Moses? The Lord met Moses because he sought to put him to death. How much better is this meeting between Moses and his brother Aaron? Here they are, they're going to meet on the mountain of God. And when they come together, they kiss each other. Might seem odd to us, but in this culture, that is a normal greeting. And what does Moses do? It says, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord. Everything that the Lord had said to Moses, Moses gave those words to Aaron. He didn't hold back. Moses said, Aaron, these are the words of Yahweh. These are the words that the Lord himself has given to me. I'm giving these to you. I'm giving you all the words. And Moses didn't leave anything out. He didn't cut any corners. It was the words and the signs. So he also performed these signs before Aaron as well. We remember those signs, turning the staff into a serpent, turning his hand into being a leprous hand and putting it back in his cloak to be restored. Or even the final sign, which would happen in the land of Egypt where he'd pour out the water from the Nile and it would turn to blood. And so, being equipped with the words of the Lord and the signs from the Lord, Moses and Aaron go back to Egypt. They do what God told Moses to do. They gather all the elders of the sons of Israel together. And now Aaron speaks the words, all the words, that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And the signs were performed in the sight of the people. And what happened? What happened when Aaron said these things and when these signs were performed? What does it say? Verse 31, And the people believed. Do you remember the concern that Moses had? He said to God, God, what if the people don't believe me? What if they ask me your name, God, and I don't know what it is? What if they say to me, God did not really send you? Notice we are not told that there was any of that. Rather, the people of Israel heard the word of Yahweh, they saw the signs, and they believed. These, this response is what the words and the signs were meant to do. They meant, were meant to elicit this belief. And then we are told what they heard. That is, they heard the word of the Lord. Do you see that there in verse 31? They believed, and when they heard, what did they hear? I would say they heard the word of the Lord, and they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and had seen their affliction. It was the word of Yahweh that confirmed that he had heard their cries and a confirmation that he would act on their behalf. Think of the long years the people of Israel were suffering in silence. The generations where the word of the Lord had not come to them. And they were continuing in their affliction. 
and their oppression and their humiliation. And now they heard the word of the Lord and there was hope for them. The Lord had visited them. The Lord had seen them. There was hope for a future. Their eyes for that moment were taken off of their cruel circumstances as they worked and were enslaved in the land of Egypt as slaves under the thumb of Pharaoh. And their eyes were put upon the Lord, the Lord who cared for them, the Lord who was there, the Lord who would come to their aid. And they responded, and they responded rightly. What did they do? They bowed their heads. In humility and submission to the Lord, they bowed their heads and they worshipped God. The only God who was worthy of worship. The only God who was to be gloried. How do you respond when you hear God's word? What happens when you receive the word? You can't receive the word and remain cold. You can't receive the word and stay the same. You can't receive the word and not be affected. The word of the Lord is a delicious feast to be savored with every delectable bite. Like when you receive the word, it's like, this is amazing. Mm, 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 It's good. With every bite you do that, give me more, give me more, give me more. Do you receive the word like that? Like it is this delicious feast? Or do you receive the word like you're being fed through a feeding tube? Maybe it's because you're on life support. Maybe it's because you're not even alive at all. We are to receive the word from God and worship. Because God's word is good. And it does things that no man can do. Hebrews 4, 12-13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of the Lord is so strong and so powerful and so works that it reaches into the places of your heart where no one else can reach. It works in such a way that no one else can. It creates and convicts so as to do the most amazing thing. The word of the Lord brings you to God and it brings God to you. It's the word of the Lord that we need to hear. It's the word of the Lord that is the center of our worship because it is the word that focuses our hearts and our minds upon the Lord Jesus Christ who is the ultimate and final word of God. The word of the Lord demands a response, a right response, a a worshipful response, a God-glorifying response, a Christ-exalting response, and a spirit-empowered response. We worship because we have received the faith that comes from God through hearing the word of Christ. Is this the faith that you know? You've heard the word of Christ and you've responded in faith. Faith in Jesus Christ who died for sinners. Faith in Jesus Christ that he is the one who can take away your sin and forgive your sin. Faith in Jesus Christ that it is through his death and his resurrection that you can know God and be made right in God's eyes and so be saved and rescued from your sins that you are no longer depending upon your own righteousness because let's be honest, you have no righteousness of your own. You are now needing his righteousness. And so God, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, 
you have been given His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, so that you are now brought to God. Before we get too triumphalistic with Israel, as we see them, they have this right response. They bowed their heads and they worshipped. It might seem really good right now, but Israel has not yet arrived. We could be tempted to say, this was so easy, Moses. (laughs) Why were you worried about this? You came, you said the words, the people believed, and they worshipped. Why did you ever doubt? While this is positive, Israel still has a ways to go. And notice, they heard the word, and they worshipped, but they were not immediately delivered. Things were about to get harder, much harder, before they got better. So that brings us to the second point this morning. The word of the Lord must not be rejected. The word of the Lord must not be rejected. And now Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. They stand before him as prophets, as those speaking for Yahweh. How do I know that they have this prophetic voice? Because it says this, Thus says the Lord. That's the word of prophets. Prophets say those kind of things. This is the prophetic word of God being given to Pharaoh. This isn't the, the, the prophet giving his own words, giving his own thoughts, giving his own wishes or desires. This is the prophet who is speaking for God. Thus says the Lord. He is to accurately communicate God's message. He brings the very thoughts of God to bear on those who are to hear and respond. And so thus says the Lord comes with power. It demands attention and it must not be ignored. So the word, they declare, demands Pharaoh to let the people go. But notice what Yahweh says. He doesn't just say any people. What does he say? Look here. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let who go? Let my people go, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you are trying to control my people. Pharaoh, you have enslaved my people. Pharaoh, you are hurting my people. Pharaoh, you are keeping my people from doing what I desire them to do, namely, worship me. Pharaoh, these people are not your people to do with them whatever you would like. They are my people, for I am their God. And what is Pharaoh's response to the word of Yahweh? He utterly and completely rejects it. Here is the question that Pharaoh asks. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Let Israel go. The word that's used here for obey is the same word used of the Israelites in 431 when it says they heard the word of the Lord. Or they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel. The Israelites heard and heeded the word of the Lord But Pharaoh now will not hear, will not listen, will not heed, will not obey the voice of the Lord. Pharaoh perceives that this voice of the Lord is an attack on his self-proclaimed deity. You see that? That's what Pharaoh said that he was. He said, I am God. You are to worship me. You are to serve me. And so now is this other word. Thus says the Lord who is coming to Pharaoh and it's saying, Obey this word. Let my people go that they may worship me. It's an affront on Pharaoh's self-proclaimed deity. And isn't that why the word of the Lord is rejected today? Because it comes to people. And it says, thus says the Lord. And it's saying, you are not God. 
You are not the sovereign one. There is another word, a higher word, a more important word, a word that's not to be neglected or overlooked. That's why people reject the word of the Lord today is because it's a full frontal assault on their self-proclaimed deity. And Pharaoh thinks to himself, who am I that I should submit myself or subject myself to the word of Yahweh? And so he refuses to do so and he makes this audacious claim. I do not know the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying that he's ignorant? That he just doesn't know? This knowing is a personal, relational knowing. I, he has never met this God and he will not recognize this God. He rejects the word of the Lord and so does not merely reject Moses and Aaron, he rejects and denies the Lord himself. Pharaoh's determination to not know the Lord is the problem of all mankind. All people left to themselves are determined not to know the Lord. But the claim to not know God remains untenable. You can't stay there. Why? For this God reveals himself. This God makes himself known. His eternal power and his divine nature have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that everyone, so that all people everywhere are without excuse. Pharaoh claims to know God or claims not to know God, but we can make this guarantee as we go through the book of Exodus. He will. There will be no denying of who God is when God makes himself known to Pharaoh. Not only will Pharaoh know, everyone will know who this God is. Yahweh will proclaim his name throughout the land of Egypt and what he is about to do so that everyone will know his greatness and his power. Everyone will know that Yahweh, he is God. There will be no doubt when all is said and done. And isn't this the same for Jesus Christ? When all is said and done, everyone will recognize and know who Jesus Christ is. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have come to bow the knee now. There will be those who refuse to bow the knee, but one day they will bow the knee. Moses and Aaron continue to plead to Pharaoh to let the people go, that they might worship through sacrifice in the wilderness. And it comes with a warning of judgment. This is what they say, pestilence and sword will fall upon us if it doesn't happen. I believe this us in verse 3 here includes Israel and Egypt. So what Aaron and Moses are saying to Pharaoh, they're saying, if this doesn't happen, if this obedience doesn't happen, pestilence and sword is going to fall on us. And not just us as in Israel, but all of us. We're all going to know God's judgment if his word is not obeyed. But what then? The king of Egypt speaks. And he accuses Moses and Aaron of taking the people from their work. He wants the Israelites to go back to their burdens. He is in no way relenting from the demand that is placed upon them, Pharaoh says that Moses and Aaron are making the people rest from their work. And here we're giving an, another hint. We're given another hint of how Pharaoh is rejecting God's word. God, from the very beginning of creation, created work. He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to keep the garden. Adam, Adam's life of work was to be patterned after God. And so God worked through creation. Six days he created, and on the seventh day he rested. Work at the beginning was good. And it was patterned after God's work. But rest was also good, and it was patterned after God's rest. And we see in the fall of Adam and Eve that now the work that they were to do was to be by the sweat of their brow. But here is Pharaoh... And he continues to reject God's word because he rejects the pattern even of rest. Rest in the Bible becomes connected to worship. 
But here Pharaoh is saying, you're not even going to rest. Get back to your work. I'm not going to let you have a rest. I'm not going to let you have a Sabbath. I'm not going to allow you to worship Yahweh. And so Pharaoh, in saying this, is showing that he is anti-God because he rejects the very fabric of God's creation and the pattern that God has established. Instead of providing rest, he places heavier burdens on the people's backs. Now they are to gather straw for bricks that they are making. Before there were those who gathered the straw for them. But now they would be required to gather the straw and make the same amount of bricks. Straw was used to reinforce the bricks, strengthen the bricks. Think about how we put rebar into concrete. The same idea, putting the straw into bricks. And in a final rejection, Pharaoh calls the word of Moses and Aaron, and therefore the word of the Lord, lying words. Do you see that? Verse 9. Let heavier work be laid on the men, so that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words or false words. Pharaoh is desperate to keep the Israelites from hearing or listening to or obeying the word of the Lord. And so not only does he reject it, his desire is for others to reject it as well. And he is on a mission to keep people from obeying the word. This is what... The word of Satan does. The word of Satan is hell-bent on keeping people away from the word of the Lord. It wants to occupy other people's time. It wants to occupy their energy. It wants to make it so that they do not even have a chance to consider the word of the Lord, let alone listen to it or obey it. There will be an attack on the word of the Lord. There will be those who will try to thwart the word of the Lord from going forth. There will be those who try to attack this hour, thwart this preaching, distract from this preaching, keep people out, and keep you from hearing. And sometimes the greatest and most dangerous rejection of God's word does not come from an outright rejection. It comes as a distraction. You focus on something other than the word of the Lord. You are drawn away. You don't have time for it. You're too busy for it. You elevate other things and make them more important than the word of the Lord. But it was not enough for Pharaoh to reject the word of the Lord. He also sought to replace it. This is the third point. The word of the Lord cannot be replaced. The word of the Lord cannot be replaced. Do you see that here in verse 10? So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh. Do you notice the contrast? Before it was, Thus says the Lord, and now it's the word of Pharaoh that's trying to replace the word of the Lord. Here is my word, says Pharaoh. This is the word that you need to listen to, this is the word that you need to obey. You don't need the word of Yahweh. But the word of Pharaoh is bad news, isn't it? It's bad news because it intensifies the work. It's harsh. It brings harm to the Israelite foremen. The people are unable to meet the quotas. So the Israelite foremen are beaten by the Egyptian taskmaster set over them. Pharaoh's word brings harm and hurt upon the, me upon the people. And this is the crossroads that we meet in chapter 5. Whose word will prevail? Will it be the word of the Lord, or will it be the word of Pharaoh, the serpent, and Satan? Whichever word prevails will be king. Whichever word prevails will be the sovereign one. The word that prevails demonstrates that they have power and that they have authority, and that their rule and reign is the rightful rule and reign, but these two words lead to very two different outcomes. Pharaoh's word leads to slavery, heavier burdens, destruction, and ultimately death. But if it is the word of the Lord that prevails, his word leads to freedom, and deliverance, and restoration, and life. Which word do you want? It should be a no-brainer, right? 
Yet the word of Pharaoh comes to us like the word of the serpent in the Garden of Eden and says to us things like, did God really say? Is God's word really true? Can you trust God's word? God is holding something back from you. You could be God. But those promises are nothing but lies. They only lead to the kind of existence that's pictured here with the people of Israel being beaten. But these words do not bring healing, they bring punishment and captivity. And it's very telling what the word of Pharaoh does or the word of Satan does, and it's pictured here in verse 12. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. That might not seem like an important statement until you understand the larger context of Scripture. Throughout God's Word, it's not good for people to be scattered. Scattering comes with judgment. So you think about the Tower of Babel. God scattered the people. That was part of His judgment on the Tower of Babel. At times... It was wicked people who scattered the people, like the false shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34. But notice what happens here. Pharaoh sought to replace God's word, and what happened? The people were scattered. I take this to picture that it wasn't good for the people, and that this is what happens if the hissing of the serpent prevails. It rips people apart. It creates disfellowship, disunity. It keeps people enslaved. God's word gathers his people together. It brings people together. God's word unites his people together. But the words of Satan rips people apart. It takes them apart. Hates to see them together. And so the word of God must not be replaced. Yet how many people try to replace the Word of God today? And we understand that the world will vehemently try to replace God's Word. The Word of God is repulsive to the world. And they say it must be replaced because it's out of touch with the modern person. They say the Word of God is ancient, it's archaic. What does such a book like the Bible have to say to us today? Yet the truth is it has everything to say to us because it deals with the state of our sin and misery. It reveals the way of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. The world tries to replace God's wor word and there will be some who are deceived by these words but we must answer like Peter and the rest of the twelve when after hearing the words of Jesus Christ some of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so then Jesus asked the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You, we, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There is no other place that we can go to find the words of eternal life. And so how do we guard ourselves when there are those who will try to replace the Word of God? It brings us to number four. The Word of the Lord is to be recognized as our authority. The Word of the Lord is to be recognized as our authority. The foremen of Israel have just been beaten. They are under intense persecution they are unable to make the people do all of the work that's required of them and so what do they do they go and they cry out to Pharaoh calling themselves servants of Pharaoh interestingly the word for servants is the same word used in Exodus 4:31 when it says the Israelites worshiped God as if to say, the one whom you serve is the one whom you worship. Some translations even say it this way. 
Why do you treat your worshipers like this? Do you see what's going on? It's not good for the foreman of Israel to be doing this. They are crying out to Pharaoh for mercy, for relief. They go to him for mercy, but they receive no mercy. There is no love, there is no grace, there is no favor. They are only met with cold, hard indifference and shame. Pharaoh even belittles them by saying, You are idle, you are idle. Some translations say, slackers, you're slackers, you're loafers, you're lazy, you're good for nothing, get back to your work. He belittles them, Pharaoh belittles them by saying, that's why you want to go sacrifice to the Lord, because you're lazy people. He treats their request with contempt and seeks to humiliate them for their desire to worship the Lord. Is it any different for us in the world today? The world would want to humiliate us for wanting to worship the Lord, to listen to the Word of God. You spend your morning on Sunday like that? You could sleep in. You could play golf. You could do a whole host of other things. They would humiliate us for wanting to come together to worship the Lord. Say things like, does it really even do anything? Does it really even matter? Is it just a waste of time? It's why we can't do what the foreman did. The foreman cried out to Pharaoh. They should have cried out to God. That's what the people did back in chapter 2. Remember when they were suffering? They cried out and the Lord heard them and he saw them and he remembered them. They should have gone to the Lord. They should have gone to the one who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Instead, they went to the serpent, to Pharaoh who does not relent who refuses to back down even one bit, who seeks to fight for his sovereignty tooth and nail, and they recognize the wrong authority. And then the foremen go and they complain to Moses and Aaron. Life was good until you got here, Moses and Aaron. And God judge you because you have made us stink in Pharaoh's nostrils. We are having to pay the price. What happens, what happens when you receive the word of the Lord and instead of life getting better, it gets harder, much harder? Do you complain? And who do you cry out to? Who do you run to? Who is it that in that moment that you are worshiping and serving? Are you looking out for yourself? Does it get under your skin because, because you are reminded that you are not the king? Or do you go to the king and cry out to him? He is the sovereign one that you need in your times of need. Are you willing to recognize that authority even when life gets harder and not better as you receive the word and seek to obey the word? God's word will prevail. How quick we are to blame God or blame someone else, how quickly we are to blame circumstances how quickly we are to jettison the authority of the Word of God and look somewhere else. Go somewhere else. When life gets harder, do you cry out to the Lord? Do you cry out to Him for mercy? Because it's only there that you'll get mercy the only kind of mercy that matters, the only kind of mercy that will persist, will prevail. What we see with the nation of Israel in these verses reminds me of 
one of the parables that Jesus taught. There's a sower who goes out to sow seed. And he sows seed on various different types of soil. And there's some seed that falls, that springs up very quickly. In fact, let me read it. Matthew 13, 20, 21. There was seed sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see how good it looks for that moment when they receive the word. How good it looks. It says they receive it with joy. And we think, this is great. This is amazing. But then what happens? Persecution comes. Tribulation comes. Why does it come? Why does the persecution and tribulation come? What did it say in Matthew? On account of the word. The world is fighting tooth and nail. The word of Satan is fighting tooth and nail against the word of God. Wanting to reject it. Wanting to replace it wanting not to give it any credence of authority whatsoever. Persecution and tribulation come. And what happens? That person says, it's not what I signed up for. Had no root. What's going to happen when the persecution and tribulation comes in our life. What's going to happen when life gets harder, not better? I pray that we're like the seed that fell on the good soil where it took root and where it yielded fruit. Much fruit. But that only happened because it fell on good soil. Hearts that were soft. Hearts that were ready and willing to receive the word. Hearts that heard the word of the Lord and responded in faith and repentance to that word. Hearts that fully and finally received eternal life. The seed is falling, even today. What kind of soil is it falling upon? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. For what it teaches us, I pray that we would have hearts to receive, ears to hear. And that we would cling to this word. Because we're honest, life might get harder, much harder, but we trust that your word will prevail in the end. We trust that you are causing your purposes to be accomplished. We trust ultimately that you are the one who delivers us and saves us and that you are the one who holds us fast. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.